Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. You are welcome to visit us at 1800 Apostle Johnson Way in Annapolis, Maryland, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And be sure to check us out at www.thefcca.org. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this day that you have allowed us to see. We thank you, dear Lord, for our rising up on this morning, and we thank you, God, that you have brought us within these sanctified walls to give you glory and to give you honor. And now, God, as we come here to this time for your preach word, uh, Father, I'm just asking, as always, for a fresh anointing, because I do not stand and cannot stand and should not stand in my own strength, but I depend on you, dear Lord, to bring this word. I pray, Father, that the listeners who will hear God, that they will receive what you have said, that they will take it within their souls and that your word will go in and make changes and so that all of us, from the pulpit to the door, can leave living a better life for you as we represent you in this world. So we thank you, dear Lord. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And we thank you for everything you're doing in this moment and in this hour. And God, we always give you the glory and praise for those things that are yet to come. In Jesus' name, let the church say, amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's give the Lord a nice, good, good praise. How many of you know it's good to be alive? It's good to be alive in the land of the living. So we have been, for the last few summer, some Sundays, excuse me, um, been in the book of Nehemiah. And um, so this Sunday, we're going to close out in Nehemiah, if you don't mind. Um, and so we have been around, you know, Nehemiah's four, five, and six. And so today, we're going to continue in Nehemiah 7. We're going to continue in Nehemiah 7, but we're going to pick up uh, the fourth verse and just going to read um, Nehemiah 4 through 6. I hope when you have an opportunity in your own private time that you just read the entire book of Nehemiah. In fact, you need to start with Ezra and read all the way through because it's all run together, if you will. They all go to, together. So we're at Nehemiah 7, the fourth verse. Are we there? All right. So I'm coming from the NIV version. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration of families. I found the geological record of those who had been the first to return. I just want you to underline that, the first to return. And that is what I found written there. And these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, put a, put a plug right there, who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive, captive, excuse me. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Reading verse 6 again. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive, 
they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And so this morning, I just want to talk briefly about coming out of exile. Coming out of exile. You may be seated. So as I was um, looking at the list of the exiles here, um, those who were returning from Babylon to Jerusalem, not any of them um, in this list, for the most part, including Nehemiah, were born when the Jews entered into, initially entered into captivity um, 70 years prior. And just to give some background, and that's why I said it's important that you read through the scriptures in Nehemiah, also Jeremiah, because we'll be going there as well. Um, 70 years earlier, or even before then, the Jews had been disobedient. They had been worshiping idols. They were, they were not worshiping God, and they had fallen to unbelief, and they were marrying an outside and, and doing, um, going against the covenant in which God had made for them. And over that period of time, God had constantly sent prophets to them, warning them to bring correction, warning them that they needed to repent, warning them that you need to change and come back to me. However, they ignored the warnings, and they primarily ignored the warnings because they knew they were a covenant people, and so they believed because they were a covenant people, God wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do. And so even though they had got those warnings, God finally said, now that you have not changed, I'm now going to allow your enemy, the Babylonians, to come and take you into captivity. Sometimes God will use your enemy to bring discipline upon us. And so that was the case that happened here with the, uh, with the, the Jews. The Babylonians took them into captivity. And here was the thing, we usually think, that Jerusalem was just vacated, that there was no one left in Jerusalem. But what had happened was that when the Babylonians took them into captivity, what the Babylonians did, they took all of the skilled people, they took all of the leaders out of, of Judah, and they took them into captivity, and they left the town desolate. They left the town with people who were unskilled. They left the town with people who did not have leadership skills. And so they still was in captivity, if you will, because if you don't have someone who's going to help to guide the community, if you don't have someone in there who's going to help bleed and to build, and you're going to take out the skilled people, you're going to have a group of people who don't know how to get out, and then they end up turning on themselves. I hope you hear what I'm saying. They end up turning on themselves as opposed to being led out because the leadership had been removed because the enemy took them out. Sometimes it's a plan, but we're not going to get into all of that. Sometimes it's a plan, and it's a reason why leadership is moved out of our communities. They're moved out of community because it's a conspiracy, if you will, because if you take out the strength, if you take out the voice, you will leave a community that is desolate and cannot make their way out. So here was Jerusalem. Here was Judah. Their leadership was gone and the walls were torn down, but they did not have enough skill to rebuild. Same material. Did not have enough skill to rebuild. And so you had them swept off. So now here it is, and when, they got, when it was swept off, and God said, now you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. That's a long time. 70 years. 
And so the Jews couldn't believe we're going to be caught up for 70 years. And so these false prophets started coming along and said, no, just going to be on a couple of years and you're going to be up out of here and it's going to be all good. God comes back over in Nehemiah 20, um, pardon me, Jeremiah 29. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to paraphrase. But you flip over to Jeremiah 29. Basically, what God was saying to, to um, Jeremiah, he said, now I want you to write this letter and I want you to take it over here to these exiles. Because they need to understand something. You ain't coming back in less than 70 years. You're going you're gonna to be in, in exile in 70 years. So this is what you need to do because you're not coming back anytime soon. And Jeremiah 29, go over and look at it. Settle down. Settle yourself. Go ahead and build some houses. Plant yourself a little garden. Go ahead and get married. Have some kids because you're going to be here. You're going you're gonna to be here. And so, so when I listened to that, it would say, you, you know, you're going to be up in here because you basically, what God was saying, because it is what it is. I'm not going to shorten my judgment. I'm not going to back anything down. But you're going to have to live with the consequences of your behavior. Anybody in here have to live with the consequences? <laughs> I have to live with the consequences. And so, and so that is, that's, that's the thing is, Sometimes, like the Jews, we got to deal with the, with the, it is what it is, with the is what it is mess that we created. Sometimes we create stuff. The Jews had created the situation, now they had to deal with the consequences of their behavior. And sometimes we do the same thing. We create, make a mess, then we got to deal with the consequences of our behavior, and then, I got to be honest, we then look for grace, but we don't want any justice. Grace without justice. Excuse me, I didn't mean to do that, but can I have the grace, but we don't want the penalty that goes along with it. And the thing of it is with God is that God does remove what our sin has caused. We want him to take it away. Am I the only one who wants that? We want him to take it away, but, but he doesn't take it away. We cross the line. And now we're feeling the pain of our decision. Every day we got to wake up to the fact of the stuff that we did because we chose not to make better choices. And here's the other thing. Sometimes we like to play the blame game. We blame other people for why we made the decisions that we made. And in this case, the Jews could make any kind of blame game they want God basically said, all y'all are going into captivity. And so he sent them up into captivity. They didn't listen to the warnings, and sometimes we don't listen to the warnings too, and we have to live with the consequences because the truth of the matter is that sin doesn't fade away with time. Sin doesn't always fade away with time, even though we, must, we really would like for it to do. But this is what God will do. Like he did with the exiles, he will allow us to go into exile. He will allow us to go into captivity. But he also is always open for us to ask for forgiveness. To ask for his forgiveness and to repent of our sins. And God will forgive us. He will forgive us. And, but this is the thing that he will do. He will forgive us. He won't remove the consequences. But he will give us the strength to live with the consequences of thy forgiven sin. Do I need to repeat that? He will give us the strength 
to live with the consequences of forgiven sin. Sin can be forgiven, but the consequences will remain, but he will help us to deal with the after effect, even though what we did doesn't change a thing. Anybody ever been in that position? Everybody want to just thank the Lord that, you know, you messed up, you blew it, you couldn't undo it, but, but you know you were forgiven. That's the awesome thing. You know you were forgiven, but now God has to grace you and give you the strength to live in the forgiveness. That's some powerful stuff right there. Because sometimes every day you got to look at the consequences of your decision. Right? Sometimes depending on what it is, you got to live with that. You got to look at it. You might have to live with it. You got to deal with it. It doesn't go anywhere. But God will give you the strength to deal with forgiven sins. He's just that awesome. So the returning Jews, when I was reading through this, it caught my attention for two main, main reasons, these returning Jews. First of all, there were three sets of returns that was recorded. First one is Zerubbabel brought the group back. There might have been a few in there who were older who may have been there when they went to captivity. There would have been children, because we're talking about 70 years, okay? Then there was um, Ezra, and then now Nehemiah. So you had, you had three groups of Jews coming back into Jerusalem. The thing of it is that the majority of them who returned were born into captivity. They were born into captivity. They never, you, you see where I'm going? They never knew what freedom was. You understand what I'm saying? They, they were born into captivity and they didn't know what it meant to be truly free. They had some liberties. I mean, because, you know, look at Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. They, they had liberties. The Babylonians weren't crazy. They took advantage of skilled workers and so forth. They had some liberties. But, but we're talking about a people who didn't know what it means to be truly free, that they were under captivity. Somebody was still dictating to them what they could and could not do. You understand? But here's the thing. They were truly free, I mean, truly uh, uh, in captivity, and we're talking about this group of people who had to deal with the consequences of their parents' and grandparents' sins. I need you to work with me. They didn't cause the captivity. They weren't even born when it happened. But now, here they are coming back to a place where they have never been before because they have spent their whole life up until that point in captivity in a place that their mamas and their daddies and their grandmamas and their aunties had caused them to be and now they are the ones who got to deal with the consequences. See, the, see, the thing of it is is that every decision that we make as parents I'm talking about the good decisions I'm talking about the not so good every decision that we make as a parent is going to impact our children. One way or the other, it's going to impact them. It's either going to impact them positively or it's going to impact them. They're going to feel something. And, and so we have to be mindful because sometimes, you know, you hear people say, well, I'm only hurting myself. No, you're not. No, you're not hurting yourself. Because see, here's the thing about sin. Sin is a thing that even if you think you by yourself, 
the ripple effect will impact people all around you. And so here you got these exiles, the children of the exiles, who were born in exile, now they have to deal with the consequences, dealing with the consequences of their parents, and now they're returning, and now they are left, get this, having to unpack the, the emotional and spiritual baggage that their mamas and their daddies left on them. Now they got to unpack it. Now they got to learn how to move forward. You know one thing that I've learned in this long time I've been in, in ministry? There is a, a very narrow window, and I mean narrow, when a parent or guardian who may have been delivered and set free is a very narrow window that they can fit through and save their children. And I say it's a narrow window because the window so narrow is that if, it, if they do it at the right time, they can get in and pull the child out and bring them into deliverance too. But if you miss the window, it's going to be up to the child to unpack what has been put on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and that window starts at a very young age. It's at a very young age because you can have parents who have been healed, delivered, and set free, but their children are still dealing with the consequences of what mama and daddy used to be like Mom and daddy heal now. Mom and daddy heal. But the kids are still dealing with the consequences, the decision. And now they have to try to unpack all of that emotional baggage. And most of the time, they are not mature enough to unpack it. And so the cycle continues. Until they get to a point in age when they too get sick and tired of being sick and tired. So that's why we have to be very careful about what we do and mindful of the decisions that we make with our kids. You got to be mindful who you bring around your kids. You got to be mindful of all of that. You know what I mean? Everybody can't hang around your kids. Don't leave your kids with everybody. Don't do that. No, uh-uh. No. Just because he your boo, don't leave your daughter with him. You don't know him. You don't know him. Don't leave your son either. You don't know him. You know him in a way, but you don't know him. Bring your kids in relationship way too soon. What we doing? So you have to be careful about that. Secondly, secondly, all of us, while I was paying attention to these exiles, the truth of it is, is that all of us, everybody in here, me included, from the pulpit to the door, at some point in time in our life, have found ourselves exiled in a complicated and difficult situation, and it felt like we were in a foreign land. Being caught up in a situation, and it felt like we were in a foreign land, found what we... What happened to our world? Sometimes it feels like the world has stopped and, and or the world has continued on, and, but you, you just got left behind. And, 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 to, and, and when I mean to be exiled, to be, to be exiled, it, it, means, it means to be where you don't want to be. Have you ever been where you didn't want to be? To, to be where you don't want to be. And, 
It's being in the foreign land, if you will, of, of issues and problems and conditions that may have come from life just being life. Sometimes life is just life. And then other times we're, we're in the foreign land as a result of our own bad decisions. We end up in a foreign land. Someplace where we don't need to be. Someplace where we are not supposed to be. That's when we make those decisions. But when I'm talking about life being life, there are certain situations we don't have any control over. We, we don't have control over the death of, of a loved one. That's life being life. It happens to us and, and, and we don't have control over sickness. That is life being life. We, we don't have control over tragedies and circumstances. That's life being life. But when we make a decision to go down the wrong path, when, when we choose or when someone chooses a wrong decision for us, for us, because sometimes we don't have any control over that, when somebody does something to you, when someone offends you, when someone hurts you, and you didn't ask for the hurt, but the hurt came on you, and now you are in the foreign land of pain. We're in the foreign land. And, 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 and when someone brings you there, you, you're held and they captive, and you're in, captive in the land of the uncomfortable and the unpleasant. And so as, what I'm saying is that at any point in time, as long as we live, we're going to find ourselves in what I call a foreign land and being exiled. We're going to find ourselves in a place where we don't want to be. Either something caused us to be there, like life being life, or a choice or decision caused us to be there. So now what are we going to do? I'm just going to jump to the heart of the message. Is that all right? I'm just going to skip all of the preliminaries. The point is, the point of the matter is, and the heart of this message is, is when you find yourself in the foreign land of hurt, pain, grief, rejection, abandonment, sickness, anger, betrayal, depression, unforgiveness, Doubt, shame, or guilt, just to name a few, you need to decide if you are going to stay in captivity or if you're going to come out. You got to decide that. You got to decide if you're going to stay over there or if you're going to do what you got to do to get up out of there. And so the thing of it is, is that, is that when the Jews were free, after their 70 years had been completed, King Cyrus comes along, issues a decree, and says, now you can go back to your homeland. You got a choice. You can stay or you can go. You can continue living here or you can go back to Jerusalem. Now, many of us would think it's a clear-cut answer. I'm going to roll up out of here. But I'm going to tell you, every easy, look, anything that looks easy isn't always an easy decision. It is an easy decision. Because keep in mind, it, it can be very difficult 
Because the thing of it is, you had these people who are now 70 years in exile, so some of them have aged. Don't know if they can make the journey. And so now you have to make a decision as to whether or not you want to stay or if you want to go. It was a difficult decision for the Jews who made the decision to go because keep in mind, they are returning to a place where they've never been. Heard about it. That's why it's important for us to teach our kids our history. You got to teach. Look, listen, I'm, I'm off script. Listen. Our kids not going to get black history in school at us at this moment. Okay? All right? We get it in February, and then we get the top ten or top five. Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying? But we're talking about the history of our community. Who are the movers and the shakers in our communities? They need to know the history. They need to know why you are where you are. They need to know why we need to understand why welfare has caused a separation within our neighborhoods is because of the act that took place with, with, um, with, uh, with the boy Clinton when Clinton was doing the welfare of the thing and he was saying them daddies couldn't be in the house and the daddies had to leave out the house and it broke up the family. You need to know your history. You need to know your history while your pants keep hanging down. Because they weren't allowed to have belts. And so it's not anything to be proud of with your pants hanging off. I was surprised to see people still walking around with their pants hanging down. I'm like, what the world? Am anybody woke up yet? Am anybody got the clue yet? We have to understand. We have to understand that these prisons are being privatized. That they're, they're now building more prisons. And who are the ones going in the prison? That's it. School to prison pipeline. That's it. So we have to know our history. And what I have to give the Jews in this case, it seems like they taught them their history. Never been to the place, but they understood what God had already done for them. They understood the history of their people. And so they went back. They made the decision to go back. Their mothers, grandfathers, grandfathers and fathers, all of them died in Babylon. They died in Babylon. They died in their stuff. And that's what happens to too many of us today. Too many people die in their, in their problems. And I mean that both literally and figuratively because they choose not to address the issues. They choose not to deal with their problems. They choose to push it away and say this is just the way that it is and blaming it on someone else and they die in their stuff never moving out. At some point you have to become or should become accountable and take responsibility for your own stuff. So they died over there. The exiles who returned with Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel made a decision. They made a decision that they were no longer going to remain in a place that held them captive. They made a decision, even though the own, that was the only place they knew. Sometimes you got to move out the neighborhood. It might be the only place you know, but you got to go. They made, they made a decision 
to move out of the place that held them captive, even though it was the only place they knew. Instead, they made, they, what they did was they made a decision and determined it was time to leave. And what they chose to do was to no longer, no longer normalize dysfunction. As long as you stayed in Babylon, you are normalizing dysfunction. You're becoming comfortable with what should be and what was uncomfortable. You see, you see to normalize dysfunction is, is downplaying, ignoring, or minimizing inappropriate behavior and unhealthy attitudes. Uh, a friend of mine was having this discussion. I said I'd give her credit, so Daphne, I'm going to give you credit on this. We called it accommodating pain. To accommodate pain is to make room for the hurt. Do I need to explain that? Sometimes we are in pain, but instead of dealing with it, we just make room for it and learn how to live with it. Do you follow? Yes. Normalizing dysfunction. Accommodating the pain. I need to do something. I need to address it, but we don't do anything to address it. We just live with it. It becomes part of who we are. It's just how my life is. It's just accommodating. It's normalizing. It's, it's normalizing dysfunction. It's making room for what hurts us instead of doing something to remove it. And here's the sad reality is that some people don't even realize that they're normalizing dysfunction. Because they've been in the dysfunction for so long, they don't even they think it's normal. And, and here's the thing. Some, and other times, we mislabel. We, mis, we mislabel uh, uh, um, the dysfunction, normalizing dysfunction, and we call it, I'm being loyal. Y'all get it later when you go home. Well, that's my ride or die. Well, you know, that's just how that person is. But, you know, we've been together for so long. It just is what it is. Well, you know, that's my friend. We got history. As I said before, just because you got history don't mean they're supposed to be in your future. It's as simple as that. So, so when we normalize dysfunction, we end up being stuck in life. But the tragedy is sometimes people are stuck and don't know they're stuck. But we end up being, we end up being stuck in life. Or we're stuck in unhealthy relationships. Remember, that's ride or die. Or that's bae. Or whoever. We, we just stuck in, in, in unhealthy relationships. And we end up going nowhere real fast, just treading water. We're not getting anywhere. And so when we start normalizing dysfunction, especially in relationships, especially in relationships, what we'll be doing is, we be, we're, what we're doing is we're believing in the potential of a person before they even prove to you who they are. We're believing in the potential. We're believing in what they could be. 
saying there's anything wrong with that to a degree. What I mean is they need to show you something along the way before you start putting full investment in a person. I'm not just talking about in in, in male-female relationships, in, in romantic relationships. I'm talking about in regular friendship. Sometimes them friends you're rolling with, you need to determine whether or not you need to be investing your time in them friends. Because they may not be going the same place you're going or have the same values that you have. Or you need to look at it. Here's the thing of it. You need to, to determine whether or not they're even capable of reciprocating what you're able to give. You got to determine that. Can they give back to you what you're putting into the relationship? If they can't give it back to you, don't be sitting around waiting. It's going to get better. They got to prove something to you. That's, that's, that's just common sense. That's not being hard. That's just common sense. You just don't be throwing yourself all out there and going to be backing up folks and you don't know what they're all about. You waiting on them to become something. No, you're going to have to show me something before you. No, we're not doing that. That's a setup. So, so you have to make sure you're, you're looking at it. So the exiles chose not to normalize this dysfunction, and they made the decision to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. Yeah, they knew about it in their history, but they were still going back to a place they hadn't been before. And not only that, they were going back to the place, because see what they said over here with Nehemiah. They said, and the houses had not yet been built. So I'm leaving my house, going to a place that I may not have a place to stay. You understand what I'm saying? They were leaving the unfamiliar for, I mean, the familiar, pardon me, for the, for the unfamiliar. And that's not an easy thing to do, because with this with dysfunction becomes comfortable. You, we can become comfortable, as I said. However, this is the thing. God doesn't want us to stay captive in our foreign lands. He, he doesn't want us to stay captive. And what God will do is begin pushing you and nudging you and putting people around you and suggesting to you. and Because that's how God operates. God operates through his word. He operates through prayer. He operates through song. He, God, sometimes... Sometimes we're we looking for God to write a sign up in the sky. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You want me to say something? Else? They'll be telling you. While I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me, would you waiting for him to sign this letter up in the clouds and put it to you? No, he speaks through this word. He, he speaks through wise counsel. And he, sometimes people, he's, God is telling you, you need to make a move. Time for you to get up out of that. And we dismiss it. Oh, that's the devil talk. No, not necessarily. Not if it's lining up with the word. You know what I'm saying? And so the thing of it is, God will ask us to leave a place of comfort because it is standing in the way of your growth. See, we grow, get this, we grow when we become uncomfortable. We talk about it a lot of time, but what? Moving out of your what? Your comfort zone. Right. To move out of your comfort zone means to do what? To grow. Because you're moving past what you had already adjusted to. You have learned that stage. You, you have completed the course. 
Now it's time to move to something else. And so the Jews were, 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 were being asked to move and they followed it. And, and because believe it or not, to be able to move the biggest mountains in your life, you have to surrender the familiar places to God. To, to be able to, to move those mountains in your life, give to God what's familiar. That's scary. I'm going to be honest. It is. It's, it's a scary thing. But if you trust him, I'm going to tell you, God can do some stuff. I'm telling you. He can take you from a place where you didn't ever think you could be or do or become. But if you get out of your own head and get out of your own way, God can move you into a place that you would never dream of and do some awesome things for you. Most people who are in ministry will tell you where God moved them from and brought them to, but just anyone, most believers, if you ask them, what did God do for you? Where has God brought you from? They can give you a story. Ask any believer in this room, what has God done for you? And they can tell you a story of how God brought them out and did something for them. Any believer in here, I'm telling you, Room full of witnesses. Look around. Room full of witnesses. Ask anybody, what did God do for you lately? And they can give you a story. All they can do, and here's the thing. They probably got a load of them, but they give you one and will blow your mind because it's unbelievable. Because, you know, the truth be told, you know, we say it sometimes, you know, and it can be, you know, sometimes it seems like we're just saying it, but it's true. You don't know the miracle that you might be sitting beside. You don't. You don't know the story you may be sitting beside or even standing in front of you. You don't know. So God will, will bring you out. So when we're coming out of difficult situations, you have to know and stand on the promises of God. The journey from Babylon to Jerusalem was 900 miles. All right? So they got to, and we're not talking about trains and planes. We're talking about walking. A donkey at best. 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Approximately four months of travel. I'm leaving from the familiar. I got a house over here. I got somewhere to lay my head. I know where my mixed meal coming from. And then I got to roll from here to there, and Nehemiah said there wasn't even houses, enough houses rebuilt. When we make the decision of making those miles, and they had to make that decision, those 900 miles were not easy. Nehemiah prayed before they started the journey, and God gave him protection. Ezra, if you go back over in, in Ezra, he prayed too because the thing of it is there was danger all along the journey. Robbers, people who were setting to hurt them, to kill them, to stop them. When you make the decision to come out of exile, to come out of your exile, when you make the decision to leave the place where you've been held captive, Understand that the journey back is not always going to be easy, but it's going to be a rough road back. Sometimes we look for the easy way out. 
But there is no easy way out. The same way, here it is saying, the same way you went in, because for them to go in, they had to walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. They had to walk 900 miles to Babylon. So you had to walk through that same journey to get there, and then you're going to have to walk through that journey to get back. Sometimes the same time you spent in your stuff is the time that you're going to need to get out of your stuff. I'm not understanding what I'm saying here. And so the thing of it is, is that while they're on this 900-mile trek to Jerusalem, the enemy is out there. While you are on your trek to come back to being healthy, to come back to having solid relationships, to come back from a life that had been under destruction, to this, uh, being destructive, to come back out of, out of grief. And I'm telling you, coming out of grief is a hard thing to do. But it's a journey, and the enemy will throw things in your place to keep you blocked, to keep you in the situation you, you are in. Because they think the road, some people get off track. Some people will stop in the midst of the journey because it begins to be difficult. Because they think the road to recovery, they think the healing from grief, they think overcoming guilt and shame is something that's going to happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. The family is not restored overnight. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process, and it's a difficult process. And coming back from a, from a setback, I'm going to tell you, it takes nothing but guts. It takes determination to come back from a setback. It takes determination because you see, I'm pretty sure that not everyone who left Babylon made it back to Jerusalem because somebody along the way, I know, quit. They gave up because the going got tough. They gave up because they didn't know it was going to require this much sweat and tears. They gave up because they thought they could come out in a shorter period of time. But I'm telling you, you got to have guts when you're coming up out of exile. You got to have some determination if you want to win your family back, if you want to get your children back, if you want to get your marriage back, if you want to get your life back, you got to fight. You got to fight. Because I'm telling you, the road back is not for sissies. It's not for no sissies. The road back is for somebody who's going to square their shoulders and going to stand firm and say, I don't care, come hell or high water, I'm going back. I'm going back. I might fall down, but I'm going to get back up. And I might fall down more than one time, but I'm going to get back up. I'm going to tell you, journey back, it ain't for no punks. Ain't no fun of sissy. Roll back for people who are determined, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to stay caught in this in the way. The roll back is, yeah, I know I'm grieving. I know I'm hurting. But I know the only way through grief is the only way over grief is to get through grief. I understand that. I understand. I understand I'm going to cry. That's all right. But tears don't last always. Joy will come in the morning. I don't know when morning is going to come, but it's going to come. And I'm going to be all right. Can anybody receive that and just give the Lord a hand, please? 
It's what it requires. What is it requiring? Don't sabotage yourself on the way back. Because even though we're looking out for the enemy, I'm going to tell you the greatest enemy is the enemy in me. When we start doing that self-talk, I wish I could. I don't know if I can. I don't know what people think. I don't know what, the, you know, what people might say. What you worrying about what people might say? This is your life. This is your life. This is your life. What you worry about that for? You are the, you, that's right. You don't want to self-sabotage. Talk yourself out of victory. No, he got it for you. Don't talk yourself up out of it. God got it for you. It's going to require some endurance. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to fight that battle. You're going to have to make that decision again that you're going to stay in the fight. Listen, I know exactly what I'm talking about because I had to decide whether or not I was going to just exist or if I was going to live. I'm not talking about taking my life. What I'm talking about, I had to make a decision, a conscious decision, because I looked at the road back. And the road back was very daunting to me. The road back was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Because, see, the road back meant that I could be hurt or disappointed again. Do I want to take that chance again? To exist mean I'm not going to have any hope. Because if I don't have hope, you can't disappoint me. I don't have hope. If I don't have purpose, how can I fail? But when you choose, and I had to choose to live, and I'm going to tell you, and what God will do, at the moment I was sitting there contemplating, and I'm just going to exist because exist doesn't take any energy whatsoever. All I got to do is get up in the morning if I want to. I let everything else figure its way out. I ain't got to do nothing. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any hopes. I don't have any desires. I will just float through life. I'm going to float through life because it's just easy to do. I'm just going to float through life because I'm tired of being hurt by life. And so I'm not going to put myself in a position to be hurt again. That was the mentality. And as I'm sitting there, in comes my two son and daughter walking in the room, 18 and 12 years old. And I know it was no one but the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, if you can't do it and won't do it for yourself, Would you do it for them? Would you get up off of the bed of grief and hurt? And would you do it for them? Got up and put on my high heel shoes. My high heels. Pull the power suit out. All right, I'm in the game. I'm in the fight. But God, you can't leave me. Because if you leave me, I ain't going to make it. And I'm going to tell you, coming out of exile, come with God on your side. And I promise you, he won't leave you. He will take you every mile of the way. All 900 miles. All 900 miles. He will get you from one place to the other. And obstacles might come, but they won't get you down 
because you got God who is on your side, you will learn how to step over them bad boys and keep it moving or stand on it to get to where you need to go. He will do it all of the way. So I'm telling you, you got a choice. You can stay over in exile. You can stay in your place of captivity or you can make up your mind. I'm coming up out of here. I am not going to stay in pain, grief, doubt, all of that. I'm coming out. And when you come out, stand on the same promise that God gave, that gave through Jeremiah to the people when they were in captivity. He said, tell them this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If you can receive that, come on and put your hands together right now. Coming on out. Coming on out. Why don't you just um, minister to your neighbor right now and I tell him it's all right, you coming out, you all right, you good, you gonna get over this, you gonna get over this. It's rough right now, and it's rough, it's rough, it's rough, but you coming out, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It hurt. Somebody beside you, somebody around you might be hurting right now. Tell them it, it hurts, but that's okay. The hurt won't last always. Go ahead and tell them. It ain't gonna last always. No. Joy does come in the morning. It does come in the morning. Yeah. You might cry a river of tears. You're in that right, Iris? You might cry a river of tears, but I'm telling you, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. All right? And here the thing of it is, is God is such an economist. He's such an economist. He's going to use everything you've been through for his glory and his honor. Come on and give him another praise. Because you're getting ready to go up to another level. You're getting ready to go up to another level. All right? Yeah. Yeah. All that hell you've been through, he's going to use that. All right? Come on, give him some glory. He's going to use that. That's just how awesome our God is. That's how awesome he is. Because there's a whole lot of us who know what it's like to be in hell. But we also know what it's like to come back from it. So we got a whole lot of witnesses up in here. You got a whole lot of witnesses. We ain't short on no witnesses. <laughs> All right now. So we got some business to take care of. And the business we got to take care of is because we're not going to make an assumption that everybody in here has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because see, the first step on your journey back, you need to be in right relationship with the one who can take you back. Anybody else can't get you there. So now if anybody's in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're not even sure about your relationship with him, we want you to come down and sit, meet with one of these decision counselors. They're going to take you out and they're going to sit down and have a conversation with you because see, you need to know that you know that you know where you're going. 
And if God is, if Jesus is not your big brother, then you want to make him your big brother? Come on, he's all right. You, you're not going to do no flips and somersaults. We don't, all of that don't necessarily happen. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it doesn't necessarily happen. You know what I mean? Sometimes people be freaking out and think something's going to happen to them. And I'm going to happen to you. The only thing going to happen to you is going to get eternal life. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right, so if there's anybody in here, come on and check around. We'll just make sure. Is anybody in here, anyone need restoration? Anybody in here needs to be restored? Salvation, restoration. You got business to take care of. You got some business to take care of. Everybody good? I need you to check. Anybody on the road? Anybody in here right now, you got to admit, you in Babylon right now. You in Babylon, but you just made yourself a decision. You coming up out of here. There go my sister. There she go. Come on, give her a good praise. So we got somebody who... Yes, sir. With the words of the who the sun set free is what? Free indeed. Here comes another sister. Come on and give the Lord a praise for her. Yay. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Here comes another. Come on. Come on, y'all. I need y'all to move. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand praise. You in this place, you need to come out. You in this place, you need to come up out of here. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Come on, let's give a Lord praise for those who made that walk. That's not an easy walk. That's not an easy walk. No. It's not. Salvation is still in the house. Restoration. Membership. Baptism. Everybody all right? Remember, this time we got to take care of business. It's time to take care of business. We got business with the Lord. Anybody else in here, you got, do you have any business with the Lord today? If you got any business with the Lord, come on down here. Let us work it out right now. Come on, anybody else in here? You got any business? Everybody good? Don't y'all say y'all good and you ain't good. Here's your opportunity. All right. So even after the service is over with, if you still feel you need to talk, just grab one of them ministers, raise your hands, and pastors, raise any one of these folks. All in the back, look all around you. Just look around you. Uh, you can go to any one of them. All right? Any one of them. And they'll walk you through. Is it all right? Have y'all been blessed by the best? Who is none other than Jesus Christ? Come on. Okay. Amen. All right. We're going to do praise God from whom our blessed flow, if you don't mind. And then after that, we were having, uh, we're having a baby dedication. So we ask all families who are going to be part of the dedication to remain in the sanctuary. And we ask anyone who is not going to participate, if you wouldn't mind quietly moving quickly to the Northex. Praise God from whom all blessings come. Let's join hands. We haven't done it in a long time. Let's stretch out our hands across the sanctuary. Praise God all blessings. All blessings. Yes. Praise him. Praise him. All creatures. Here below.
Father, we just thank you for this time of worship and this time of celebrating. And now, dear God, we have been filled by your spirit. And God, I pray that as we leave from this place, that each person who's standing under the sound of my voice, you will bless each and every one of them. Bless their going in and their coming out. Now, henceforth and forevermore, let everyone who's been redeemed of the Lord, let us sing together. <laughs> 